Good afternoon from the City View podcast with me, Andy Sylvester, here in the City AM newsroom. In a few minutes, we'll be joined by James Sim, a partner at River and Mercantile. We'll talk ESG and the new definitions thereof, as well as what high inflation and new geopolitical issues may do to conventional investor wisdom. First, though, the headlines. I'm afraid we must start again with the fallout from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The UK government has announced a raft of sanctions against new individuals, most notably Chelsea FC owner Roman Abramovich. The sanctions have put on ice the Russian oligarch's plans to sell the club, as well as essentially freezing Chelsea's ability to operate as a business. No new revenue will be made available with even club shop purchases barred and no more ticket sales will be allowed. The club will not be in receipt of TV money as we understand it and sponsors are already considering pulling out statements this afternoon from Hyundai and three amongst those. Fans are livid, well fans of Chelsea are livid, but that is the point of Western sanctions to make Russia essentially a pariah state and discourage any dealings with the country's elite. We understand from number 10 spokesperson that the government is still open to the idea of a Chelsea sale but they will have to approve who it is to and Roman Abramovich will not be able to receive any of the proceeds of that sale. Abramovich is also a major shareholder in Everaz, the London-listed firm which had been in share freefall until a statement yesterday suggesting that none of its operations or directors were affected by sanctions. Shares rose 20% plus on the announcement. However, post-sanctions, they've collapsed as much as 10% before being suspended by the London Stock Exchange. The new list also includes Oleg Deripaska, the founder and controlling shareholder of EN Plus Group. EN Plus lost its executive chair, the Tory peer Greg Barker, earlier this week amid rumours the firm was planning to spin off the non-Russian parts of its aluminium firm, Roussel. One of the UK's leading fertiliser, CO2 and ammonia providers has insisted there have been no changes to its operations despite energy prices soaring to record highs earlier this week. CF Industries, which manages UK supplier CF Fertilisers, told CityM its processes remain stable. What that means in the upshot is there's no fears of a CO2 shortage that we saw earlier this year amid energy prices. The reason being fertiliser prices going up too. Stateside prices also accelerating, indeed at the fastest pace in over 40 years, which strengthens the case for the US Federal Reserve to front load reigning in policy. Inflation in the US scaled to 7.9%, according to data released by the US Bureau of Labor Statistics today. That's the hottest rate since January 1982. That data reinforces the prediction that US Fed Chairman Jerome Powell and co are about to launch one of its quickest tightenings in recent history, with some economists betting it could hike rates 50 basis points at its meeting next Wednesday. Meanwhile, M&S has announced its CEO, Steve Rowe, will step down after six years at the helm. Rowe will leave his role at the company's preliminary results on 25th of May as part of a planned succession programme. He'll be replaced by Stuart Matchin, who will become chief exec, and Katie Bickerstaff will become co-chief exec. Matchin will take on responsibility for the daily leadership of the business, and Bickerstaff will focus on the supermarket's omni-channel, digital, and data future, whatever that means. Rowe's Tenure will be remembered for something of a turnaround with results at the back end of last year proving very positive indeed. Now we'll turn to James Sim of River Mercantile, who has been at the forefront of ESG investing with a difference. His fund, the firm's EM European Fund, has outperformed the benchmark recent years by around 25%. James, pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Andy. I think there's no question the last couple of weeks has made the definition of, of ESG a little more blurry than perhaps some people have had it for the for the last couple of years um global events like this one tend to do that you've always taken a slightly different approach to to esg i think it's fair to say than than what people outside the city maybe imagine it being all about you know trees and green things well that, that yes that's right and i, I think it's been 
difficult, hasn't it? If you're not naturally a high growth investor to work out how to expose your portfolios to what is self-evidently going to be probably the key investment theme, um, certainly for the next 10 years and possibly beyond that, which is decarbonisation. I mean, I guess, Andy, you're referring to in particular the, the, the Ukraine war where, mm. you know, for a long time, ESG um, funds have excluded defence stocks, weapon stocks. And I mean, I own Airbus as it happens. Um, on the, and I'm very comfortable with that on the basis that Western democracies need defending as well. Um, and I think we're seeing that today, aren't we? But I think it goes to a, a bigger question, which is this notion of just excluding bad or investing in good. It might make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside uh, or your clients feel warm and fuzzy inside, but does it actually make the world a better place? And that's what I keep coming back to on this, which is how is what we're doing in a portfolio, is it actually achieving the goals we want to achieve? Now, there's lots of boxes to tick, regulatory and also from a kind of what is acceptable um, through like market norms. But if we keep coming back to doing the right thing and thinking sort of very deeply about how what we do has a positive influence on society or, or not mm. uh, in, in, in a very pragmatic way, then I think we're on relatively solid ground and that's where we'll make, make a difference, to be honest. Yeah, let's and, see. and that's why I think we end up in different place, yeah. Yeah, let's zoom in um, just very quickly on, on Airbus, for instance, just as an example, because I think it's, it's illustrative. You know, there will be ESG investors which will run a mile from Airbus because they, you know, make planes that fly around the world and planes give out carbon at high levels. Um, are you sort of moving towards then a different place, which is where you have to invest in these companies that are doing that. Otherwise, they won't get better slash. They're the only hope for us to actually get greener. Well, you, you, you've nailed it, basically, um, which is, that to say, is to say, to put it another way, what is the goal, really, of what we're doing in terms of sustainability with financial markets? And the goal is very clear. It's that we redirect capitalism. I mean, it is nothing less than that. <laughs> it's, an, it's a change in the way capitalism works. And we, what we're re- doing is we're redirecting financial markets to enable the world to decarbonize so that we don't have excessive climate change. Now, if you take a step back and think about it for one minute, that does not mean you should go and invest in low-carbon companies, which is what everyone's doing. Because me putting another euro uh, into Nestle, say, AAA rated, good business or investing more money in a, in a software company or a branded good company. These are low carbon businesses, right? Mm. But it doesn't actually remove the amount of carbon molecules that every year float up into the atmosphere, which is the only thing that matters, right? In reality, what we really need to do is work out. We all want to live in steel and cement buildings. They are very carbon intensive activities. We need to work out how to decarbonize the steel and cement industries. We need to do, we, we all fly around the world either on business or on holiday, um, or a lot of people do. We're gonna, that's going to continue. Mm. The reality is people are going to continue to fly. So finding the companies that are enabling these polluting activities to decarbonize for me is actually a much better contribution to society. And that then obviously is very aligned with a more contrarian kind of mindset because these are often industries that have been very out of favor for the last decade or so. So that's, I guess, the philosophical insight that we've made. And at the end of the day, we are all sat, presumably, people listening to this, they're all sat in steel and cement buildings. 
Yeah. And just to say, I'm going to sit in the building, but not invest in those business. It's avoiding the issue. It's, I'd say it's actually hypocritical in a way. You should embrace how to do that. Even if it doesn't look lovely at a headline metric level, it is actually making the world a better place. And that's, that's what we're all about, really. Yeah, because I guess the, the the more conventional view is why you end up with a load of ESG funds piling into tech, which is all well and good, but it doesn't necessarily contribute much. Let's um, just zoom out a bit to the wider kind of equity space. Again, it's impossible to avoid talking about the last two weeks. How disruptive do you think what we're seeing right now, if it continues in Russia, well, in Ukraine, as a result of Russian's action, how disruptive do you think that will be on the whole cycle that we've become used to? Yeah, I would I would caution against saying this is a new thing or a line in the sand. It's obviously mm. it goes without saying. It's a, from a humanitarian level, uh, as somebody with children, um, and you see the pictures. It, it's just awful, um, and it, it does feel incongruous, really, talking about investment with that as the context. But but but, but we must because it's important. And I think the the point is that I would make is. This is just another manifestation of a changing trend that really since the 80s, um, since we kind of broke inflation, we've been moving towards a globalized um, neoliberal world order under an American hegemony. Um, And that seems to be changing and shifting. We seem to be getting a kind of balkanization, don't we? Mm. Um, The idea that you can just run ever looser monetary policy, which engenders more and more inequality. I mean, frankly, the world's had enough. People have had enough of that. And rightly so. And that that's going to mean that it's going to be a lot more difficult, I think, to be an investor. You know, for the last 15 years post-financial crisis, really any asset you've bought has beaten inflation. Yeah. And now we're moving to a much more inflationary world where supply chains are disrupted, uh, where the name of the game is deglobalization, not globalization. Labor is more, more difficult to come by. And we're seeing that daily, both in the headline macroeconomic data, but from companies themselves, they're, they're finding it difficult to find people and yeah. they're finding it difficult to find stuff. And then we add into that, well, the subtopic we've just discussed, which is deglobalization, the huge investment. I mean, we're talking between half and a third of the US economy globally every year in, in green capex of one form or another, six trillion, we reckon it is. Um, these are all very inflationary uh, dynamics. And, and so we're really looking for populating a portfolio with um, valuation, low, lower duration assets, uh, upstream companies, perhaps ones that have had a very difficult cycle, companies that are potentially capital intensive. Again, that's not mm-hmm. been the place to be for the last 15, 20 years. No. Um, but that's what we think will do well going forward. So it's a very different style of um asset that will protect you and unfortunately most people are stuck in all the stuff that's just done brilliantly for the last 10 to 15 years um and and that could end up being very painful i mean the historical analog of course is Bretton woods isn't it the breakup of Bretton mm. woods in the 1970s and the debasement of currencies we're kind of seeing something similar and i, I wouldn't be surprised if we shouldn't be drawing some parallels in terms of what investments we should be making between then and now but basically if it's done very well in the last 15 years, you might want to think about changing some of that portfolio. That's what I'd, I'd urge people to do. <laughs> well, if we're talking about Bretton Woods, they always say that history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it does rhyme. So we will wait and see what poetry uh, comes out of R&M over the years to come. Um, James, thanks so much for joining us. Very good. Thanks, Andy. 
That was James Sim of River and Mercantile. And that's all from me this week. I'll be off tomorrow. You'll be joined by Nathan De Silva, Lily Russell James, and Charlie Conchi on our weekly tech and crypto podcast. For me, it just leaves me to say, have a good weekend. <laughs>